Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. I love the church. I love the church. And you know what we said last week? We should never be ashamed to be excited about what Jesus is excited about. Jesus is excited about the church. We ought to be as excited about the church as Jesus is. And he made a big deal in scripture over and over again about the importance of the church. Not just our church, but the church. And so today I'm glad you're here for week two of our series called I Love My Church. If you love your church as much as I do, you're not weird, you're just wild, okay? And I tell you, you just be as wild as you want to be today. So today we're going to talk about how God wants us to move in our life to becoming contributors for his kingdom. Contributors for his kingdom. Like God has set us apart to do more than consume in the church, but to be contributors in the church. You know, the church is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's God's idea. God set up the church the way that he did so that the conduit of the gospel could be spread all over the world. And that's why we're here today. We're not here because of the name of Southcrest. We're here because Jesus died for the church. And so we ought to be excited about that. It's his way of taking his love and his message to the world. So today I want to start off by showing you something very odd and strange, but I want to explain it real quick. All right, look at this photo. Anyone know what this is? Yeah, it's a Whopper. All right, yeah. I love, anyone else love Whoppers from the BK Lounge? Okay. We got some Chick-fil-A folks in here. They're getting angry. Um, It's okay. You can dive in a little bit, okay? So the the Whopper, uh, believe it or not, the Whopper changed America. Some of you go, what? How did the Whopper change America? Here, listen, this is crazy. Burger King in 1974 did something that had never been done before. They started a marketing campaign that forever changed not only how we consume hamburgers, but how Americans consume most of what we consume in our life. They had a campaign called this, Have It Your Way, right? You remember you would go in and every other place it was a pre-wrapped hamburger. You were going to get, you know, two, two whatever, lettuce, cheese, pickles, you know, all, all wrapped up and they're going to hand it to you and it's been under the warmer and all that stuff. But when you walk into Burger King... You could walk up to the counter and you could say, I would like my burger my way. (laughs) And it totally changed the fast food industry. It totally changed, believe it or not, it changed a lot of our American culture because up to then, we thought all we had was limitations. And suddenly, our intake of burgers was limitless, right? And so it changed our culture. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. Think of how the customer has changed since 1974. If you work for Walmart, your theme is this. The customer is always right. Yeah. I know at corporate Walmart, if you can't say that, you will not have a job there, okay? The customer is always right. But sir, they brought in a bomb. I know, but the customer is always right. But sir, they came in and and they beat up three of our employees. I know, but the customer... See, we live in a really amazing world where the customer really has a lot of rights. And whether we realize that or not, that has changed consumerism in the world. You know, it's even changed consumerism in sports, So last Sunday, we had a little Super Bowl, right? How many of you Denver Bronco fans are excited today, right? (laughs) I don't believe you, okay? How many Denver Bronco fans are excited that your team won, okay? Yeah, 
And some of you, all you've said all week is, I'm just glad that Cam didn't win. Okay, and you're probably Georgia Bulldog fans and I love you too and God loves Cam just like he loves you, okay? And so I wanna say this today. There was always a play in the Super Bowl that defines the Super Bowl. And people, when they see this one play, whether it was Super Bowl 2007, 2009, there's always one play that everybody talks about. This was the play. Getting near the end of the game, Cam Newton gets hit, the ball fumbles to the ground, And all of a sudden, in front of millions of people, men, grown men who have children, (laughs) are jumping on the ground for a small piece of leather to attain it. Now, I know you women weren't watching at this moment. You were on Pinterest, okay? You were pinning some Denver Bronco stuff. But the guys, we women, I mean, this was the moment. And everybody began to talk about why did Cam Newton not jump on the ball? He sat there and he looked at it. He had it right in his possession. That could have changed the whole game. That could have changed the whole thing if they would have just possessed the ball and scored a touchdown. But this is the play that created what I call the armchair quarterback this last week. Now, let me tell you what the armchair quarterback's like, okay? It's easy to analyze when you're not on the field, right? It's always easy to analyze. Oh, I saw it. I saw it with 360 vision. Well, you didn't see it the way Cam saw it. And you didn't see it the way... The other players saw it. So it's easy sometimes to go, well, I'm just going to armchair quarterback that. See, it's easy to second guess when you don't have all the facts. We don't know if the coach looked at Cam and said, listen, if we fumble the ball, you are not to dive in the pile. You will break an arm, a leg, and then it's all over for us. We don't know. But we act like we do. Oh, Cam doesn't love his team. If he would have, he'd have jumped on that ball. I mean, people are armchair quarterback, and here's what's crazy. It's easy to say what you had done differently, what you would have done differently, even though you've never done it before. How many of you have ever played in a Super Bowl? I think one of us. <laughs> you don't know the pressure. You don't know the, the, the feeling of walking into like all this pressure, and, 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 but here's the thing. We act as if we've done it, because armchair quarterbacking is easy. So I started thinking about this in relationship to the church. We often do the same thing in the church. In fact, I want to say it this way. There's a lot of armchair Christians. When it comes to the church, they say, well, man, if our church would do this, we would be this. Well, if the pastor would say this, then we could have it this way. You know, if, if, if the people would do this, and, and it seems like this barrage of people's opinions about the church, and there's a lot of armchair Christian ism going on. In fact, I want to be real honest. I think this is why the lost world looks at us many times and goes, I don't get it. I thought Jesus was the head of the church. I thought Jesus was the QB. And somehow consumerism has crept into our lives to the point that that we have a lot of people who are armchair Christians. And consumerism has crept in so much that now we hear statements like this. Well, I'm just here looking for a church that meets my needs. Wow, how a profound statement that meets your needs. Jesus didn't die for the church so that we could have our needs met. Jesus died for the church so that we could change the world. It gets better because I hear this statement all the time. Well, I just want to find a church where I can use my gifts. And so I put on my little Pastor Dakota ring and I put it on that statement. And here's what you're saying. You are very stuck on yourself and you think you're very important and you are God's gift to the church. (laughs) I'm sorry, did I say that? I'm just trying to be real. 
I am so talented, I want to find a church that appreciates how talented I truly am. Listen, I know guys that are pastors that do that, youth pastors. They leave a church because they say, well, they just didn't appreciate how good I was. Really? Since when is the call of God attached to how talented you are? And then I hear this statement a lot. Well, I'm just church shopping. Church shopping? I mean, I don't shop a lot, okay? So when you see me shopping, you know that I have one item on my mind, that I am like a laser beam. We are going to Dillard's to this exact rack, and we are going to get it, and we are going to purchase it. Some of you have seen me out shopping before. I'm like a torpedo missile, okay? But here's what we're saying when we say we shop for a church. I want 20% more for 20% less. I'm looking for a deal. Hey, Jesus, I want your best deal on a church. See, we don't realize how consumerism has begun to shape our thinking, even how we love the church. So I want to make a profound statement to you today. God wants more for you in the church than to just be a consumer. He wants more for you. And the truth is, let me say this, when it comes to the armchair Christians, we've all been an armchair Christian before. I have. I remember my first youth ministry job. I was a youth intern and I worked for a youth pastor and I remember he came in and he said, you're gonna lead this way, you're gonna do things this way and it took me about three months to realize, oh no, I got this thing down. Bro, you are all, you're doing this all wrong. And I remember looking at that youth pastor like, dude, this is why our youth group's not growing because he's not doing this, this, this. And I became an armchair Christian. We've all been there in our life. And then I remember being a student pastor, like a a full-fledged student pastor in my life. And I served under multiple pastors. And I remember sometimes I would get mad at my pastor and I would be like, he just doesn't understand. He's not supporting us. He doesn't listen to us. And now that I'm a pastor, (laughs) I want to publicly apologize to every pastor I worked for as a student pastor because I have a whole different perspective. We've all been armchair Christians, but when it comes to the church, God wants more than to just be a consumer. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter four. John chapter four, it's the story of when Jesus went to the well and he met this woman and he began to ask her for a drink of water and he began to talk to her and tell her about her life and it literally changed her life because up until this point, she had had multiple husbands and her life was just kind of messed up and wrecked. But Jesus came and he showed compassion to her and he showed her that, hey, I've come to bring something better than the water you can get from the well. I've come to bring living water. But later on in that chapter, Jesus kind of regains himself with his disciples and in verse 31, we read this account. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now, here's what the disciples were thinking. Somebody swing in and get Jesus a happy meal, right? Somebody, somebody go get Jesus some food because Jesus is hungry and we should never like let Jesus go hungry. But Jesus told them right before this moment, he said, I got food you guys ain't never seen. And then he tells us what his food was. Look at the next verse. My food, said Jesus, is to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's what Jesus was saying to us in this moment. What fills me is in filling others. Jesus was saying, I have a different kind of food you don't know anything about because it's not about consumption. My food is to do the will of the Father. And then he says it this way. He says, I don't want to be about consuming. I want to be about contributing. 
And I find that crazy because what Jesus was really saying to us, and we need to catch this today, is this. What fills me is to contribute to the work of God. What fills me is to contribute to the work of God. See, the challenge of that is this. Even though Jesus said, this is how you're going to be the most full and the most happy in your life, we were all born with a selfish nature. Now, when I was six, no one gave me any training on how to steal from my parents' cookie jar. Okay, like if you had Oreos, I was the youngest of five kids. We stole Oreos from my mom's grocery bags. Like I think a few times she actually went back to the store and said, oh, y'all didn't pack my Oreos. And me and my brother, we're like back in the closet, you know, just hoarding Oreos. No one had to teach us how to be all about us. I call it Terrell Owenism. Because he woke up one day and he told the world, he says, I love me some me. And Jesus said, what fills me is not to fill me, but to contribute to the work that God has. You know, I started thinking about this this week. What are the, what are the things that we need to understand about the church that could forever change our perspective about consumerism? Here's the first one. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. If you're here today, if you're at LaGrange with us today, if you're worshiping here at Noonan, We are, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And I know for some of you, like, the light just went on. Like, whoa, I feel feel more like a consumer. Well, I want to talk about that for a minute. Let's look at this scale real quick here. This would be like I'm a complete consumer, and this would be like I'm a contributor, right? Like I am giving it for Jesus. Like I am selling out to him, and I want to change the world through the church. And so like zero here, like if you were to place your, your, your marker and say, Sean, I'm at zero, that's like Satan, okay? But this place over here, this would be like Jesus. So if you put 10, you're wrong too, right? Because nobody's as perfect as Jesus, but you know what I love about our church? There are many of you, you kind of hang out right here and you are contributing and you are connecting and you are serving and you want the church to fulfill its mission of changing the world. But let me ask you a question. Would you just take a second and write down what number reflects you? Just write it down. Take a pen, write it down. Because if you fall somewhere in this one through six category, you struggle with the idea that sometimes it is more about me than it is about others. And God wants more for his church. Remember we said that last week, God has more in store for the church. God wants us to move out of consumerism and understand the difference. So here's how we teach it in our membership class. We talk about ownership and we say it this way. Consumers come to experience the vision of the church, but contributors engage and invest in the vision of the church. Like they're the people that when you talk about reaching South Atlanta one relationship at a time, they're all about that. Look at the next one. Consumers expect others to meet their needs, but contributors meet the needs of others. Like some of you, your heart is you want to come here and you want to see other people's lives change and you're serving and some of you, you're just here because you want someone else to meet your needs. Consumers attend the ministries of the church, but contributors lead the ministries of the church. It's a very different story. Look what else. Consumers acquaint themselves with people in the church, but contributors connect and develop relationships in the church. They understand the value that I can't just fly in here once a week and get like my spiritual shot and leave and live for Jesus and change the world. I've got to connect my life to other people. God wants me to live 
connected. There's strength there. Consumers give when they feel inspired, like they see a video or a story or, or something like that, but contributors give to God out of love and faithfulness. God, I don't give because there's a story. I just give because you command me. And I'm just giving back to you because I, all my faith and trust is in you when it comes to my finances. Look at the next one. Consumers come to see and be seen by people, but contributors come to serve people. Man, I want to be a contributor. You want to be a contributor? I want to be a contributor. Raise your hand if you agree with me. I want to be a contributor in the church of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, consumerism never quite filled me up. Let me tell you another truth we need to grasp. Not only are we spiritual contributors and not consumers, but here's what we need to understand. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Like, that's a game changer for me to think that, okay, if, if we exist for the world, then God saved us. He gave us Jesus and he wants to change our life. And then somehow he wants to kind of push us back out into the world because that must have been what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt and the light of the world. We don't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. There are hurting people all over South Atlanta. That's why we exist. There are people far from God all over Georgia. That's why we exist. We don't exist because it's convenient. We exist because we are convicted that we are the church and the church is to be about reaching the world, not just taking care of ourselves. I want you to turn over to Isaiah 58 real quick. As you turn over there, I want to... I want to give you a spiritual promise today as we talk about this subject. Isaiah 58, if you know anything about the latter chapters of Isaiah, God started giving his people these promises. Promises about Jesus coming, promises about when they turn back to me, these are the things that will happen. In Isaiah 58, he makes a very profound statement that I want us in the church to hear because if we get this one statement, I promise you we will begin to turn our society upside down. Isaiah 58, he says, hey, I want you to come back to me. I want you to fast. I want you to kind of deny yourself. Put these things away in your life. I want you to become a contributor, not a consumer. I want you to become a world changer. And then he says something about the promise in verse 12. Look at Isaiah 58, 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called, look, repairer of the broken walls, restorer of streets, within dwellings. In some translations, it says repair of the breach. And here's what I want you to know. God has called us as the church within the church and within the world to go repair the walls. In fact, we are the difference the world is waiting on. You see, for too long, the church has been way more focused on making a statement than making a difference. And it's time we make a difference. It's time that kids who need to be adopted get adopted by the church. It's time that kids who are struggling, who can't eat, that the church rise up and feed these. It's time that we go to the gangs in our society. Some of you go, I ain't going there. Listen, this is who we are. This is our spiritual destiny. This is why we gather here. We gather for worship, but we go to make a difference. And God's saying, listen, when you come back to me with all your heart, you're going to be a repairer of the breach. So let me make a profound statement to you about that. There will always be 
a gap between the way things should be and the way things are in the church and in the world. If there wasn't, God wouldn't have mentioned it there. But here's what we do many times in the church. We think it's our job to point out the gap. Look what they're not doing. Look what he's not doing. Listen, this is why churches compare themselves to other churches. Listen, I have no one else to compare us to other than Jesus. That's it. You say, well, someone down the street, you know, they're doing this and we should be. No, 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 no. We're not them. God has called us to find the walls that exist in our church, the gaps that exist in our church, and to go fill those gaps. Because it's our spiritual destiny that wherever the gap exists, that's why we're still here in the church and in the world. Let me say it this way. You don't have to go to college or be brilliantly smart to find fault with the church. Some of you go, Sean, it's real easy for me to find fault. I know, I get it. I want to apologize to you again. I'm sorry. Sometimes we're not the best witness of who Jesus wants us to be in our society. But that's why we're doing this series. Because we need to be about what Jesus was about. Anywhere Jesus went, someone's life was changed. And anywhere we go, we ought to be repairs of the breach. The gap exists. I mean, some churches say, well, we don't have a gap. Like, we're the perfect church. Listen, be careful of a church that thinks it's perfect, okay? It's like a really good Mexican food restaurant. It looks really good on the outside, but you don't want to go in the kitchen, right? Just be very careful of that because some of us are like, oh, I'm going to go here because, man, they meet my needs. Man, I've been shopping and they got this. And listen, be careful because that's not what the gap's about. God didn't give us the gap so we could go somewhere else and fill it. God wants us to fill the gap in his church here. And let me be the first to tell you, we got gaps. Sometimes I meet with our staff on Monday and sometimes we look at each other because we believe so much in continuous improvement and we look at each other and go, man, we're so far away from where we know God wants us. But we're not gonna give up because God's called us to go bridge the gap. He's called us to go bridge the gap. So how many of you guys have ever been to England before? Raise your hand. Both campuses, raise your hand, okay? If you've ever been to England, you've walked onto the subway, and they say this phrase a million times. It says, mind the, mind the gap. Mind the what? Gap. Mind the gap. Some of you go, oh, oh, okay. Some of you have been to England, and you have never known what that meant. Like, you're talking about the gap in their teeth? I mean, you know, I don't know, okay? But... Everywhere in England you go, they want you to make sure if you miss your subway, if you are late for your subway, they don't really care, but there's one thing they really care about. Do not fall in this gap. I think someone probably got sued a long time ago, and so they said, our job is to point out the gap. So here's what I want to say. In the American church, we've had too many people that think their job is to point out the gap. That's not why Jesus left us here. He called us here to be contributors, not consumers. In fact, I want to say it this way. God doesn't call us to criticize the gap. He calls us here to repair it. The gap that exists in the church and the gap that exists in the world. We are the church. And we're called to mend the gap. Not just mind the gap, but to go mend it. You see, consumers, they just, they just criticize. But you know what contributors do? They construct. 
In fact, the people who contribute the most spiritually to a church typically don't have time to listen to any naysayers in their ear because they're too busy rebuilding the wall. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to go into the world and he wants us to mend the gap. We don't have the right to criticize it. We only have the right to fill it. But there's a promise there that I think we need to get a hold of. God says, when you return to me with your whole heart, you will be the people that will go into the dwellings and you will repair the gap. I don't know about you, I don't want to waste my life consuming. I want to spend my life repairing the gap because at some point in your life, you've got to die to the gap that exists so that Jesus can change somebody else's life. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came to fill the gap between God and man. What a great picture for us, right? He came to lay down his life between humanity and all of God and his holiness. And we're called to do the same in the church and in the world. I like the way Andy Stanley says this, a great quote. He said, a lot of people blame all the time. All they know is how to blame. Listen, blame is a very bad change avoidance strategy. I'm not going to change, so I'm going to blame someone else why we can't change. It's a horrible change avoidance strategy. So I want to give you two things that will transform our thinking. Number one, we are called to serve in the church. We are called as believers in Christ to serve in the church. Romans 12, 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Every person here that knows Christ, you have a spiritual gift that the church needs you to express. And have you ever thought the reason that some gaps exist in the church is because people aren't using their giftedness in the church? So next time you see someone who just says, man, I just want to come and consume, listen, bro, you're hurting the church. I love you enough to say that if, God, if you don't let God use you in whatever capacity it is, you may, be, you may be adding to the gap. So we are called to serve in the church, but not only that, we're called to serve as the church. We are called to serve as the church. Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, he said these profound words. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, a couple weeks ago when I went to Israel, there is an actual hill with a massive city that sits on top of this hill. It's known as the city on a hill. And when you drive through the valley, it doesn't matter where you're driving from, that city is never hidden from your sight. And as Jesus probably said in the valley of Capernaum or somewhere else, right there where the Beatitudes happened, he probably looked over his shoulder and he said, you see that city? You can't hide it. When we are becoming spiritual contributors, it will not be hidden from the world. Look what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What's the motive there? Hey, I want everyone to see the city. No, he says, I want people to see the city because the end result is they will turn to God and they will give God glory, which means they will give God their life. They will glorify God. Man, that's what repairing the gap's all about. That's what repairing the breach is all about. It's about going out. It's about repairing the breach. It's seeing it and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna wait for someone else to fix that gap. I'm gonna go fix that gap. Next week, we have an opportunity to go fix some gaps in our community. 
I'm not going to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you, this is a great opportunity for you. Some of you, it would bless your heart to take one day off of work and go serve with us. Because here's the deal. We do not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We have opportunities all over South Atlanta. LaGrange, Noonan, life groups are doing things. Some of you are so fired, about, fired up about what your life group's doing. I can't wait to see the photos. But here's the deal, folks. God's given us an opportunity. We can go repair the breach that exists in our communities. Would you go with us? Remember what we said last week, the building, the church is not a building, it's a movement. Remember, we said this, that we exist to make a difference, not just to make a statement. One time I had a guy ask me this question. He said, Sean, I was interviewing him for a staff position. He said, I'm really interested in talking to you more about joining the team at Southcrest, but I have one question for you. I said, what is it? If your church closed its doors this week, how would it affect the community around you? Man, that's the litmus test, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. If our church closed its doors next week, how many of you would still follow Jesus? Listen to this statement. The goal of the church is not to fill the building on the seventh day of the week, but to fill the world with the church every day of the week. Every day. There's gaps everywhere in our communities. There's gaps everywhere in the church. Why don't you quit pointing out the gaps and why don't you start filling the gaps? Because this is what I believe is true about our world. We are the move of God the world is waiting for. Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry in a town called Capernaum. We're going to talk about that town next week. But while he was there, one day he decided to load up his disciples and take them on a little field trip. He said, guys, we're going to go about two hours north of Capernaum. We're going to go right up to the Lebanon border here to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was the Las Vegas of biblical times. I mean, what happened there? Definitely stayed there, (laughs) you know? I mean, it was like girls weekend every weekend at Caesarea Philippi. There were people being turned up, turned down, turned backwards, whatever, at Caesarea Philippi. But Jesus said, hey guys, I want you to go up here with me. I want to show you a picture. This is Caesarea Philippi. This is the opening tributaries of the Jordan River that come through Lebanon. This cave right here was known as the Gates of Hades. For years, people would come and they would worship foreign gods at this gate. They would go in this cave and it's actually, they set a, a, a statue up to the god of Pan. They would go worship, the Romans would come worship the god of Pan in there. But when Jesus entered Caesarea Philippi, there had to have been people like going crazy. I mean, they were throwing it down. And I found it interesting. Jesus didn't stay in the church to tell this to his followers. He went to the darkest, dirtiest, scummiest place on the planet and he walked right into darkness and listen to what he asked his disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
Can you imagine the disciples? They're looking around and they're seeing all this crazy stuff. Maybe they were watching people sacrifice animals. Maybe they were listening to the hoops in the hall. Jesus comes up and here's all Jesus wants to know. Who do you say that I am? Because here's what Jesus knew about those followers. That was his church. And we know it's the point in Peter's life that forever defined him because he looked back at Jesus and he said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right, Peter. And Peter, with the words you just said, I want to remind you something about my church. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this statement, I will build my church church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He would have pointed, go back to that picture, he would have pointed right back to the mouth of that cave and would have said, all of hell can't take down my church. Listen folks, we're the church. We're not a civic organization. We're not a good country club for people who want to come get their needs. Listen, I want to meet your needs. I want to help you. But I, I just feel like Jesus said, he said, I have found a greater food and the greater food is contributing to the will of my father. And I want to say this to us today, guys, we need to be the move of God that the world is waiting on. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from South Crest Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.